Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Cool, and then um, tonight sharing the word is our very own Mezen. Um, most of you know Mezen quite well. Uh, Mezen and Andre has been with us for about two years now. They're elders at Shofar Santon. Uh, Mezen also works uh, half day at the church doing all the Santon communication and media and it's like basically everything um, with Andre. And um, yeah, they've really just stepped in as friends and as parents and as brothers and sisters and people who love the church and carry the church in their heart. I've, I've met few people who have a love for the bride of Christ like Andre and Mezen and who serve with everything, even in some of the most difficult seasons in life, just with so much joy and so much overflow. And so we honor you guys. We receive you. Don't be nervous. <laughs> Just enjoy. We bless you. <laughs> cool. Okay. So I don't, I don't actually think that I need to preach because all the words and things that were brought beforehand have, um, I have all of it. I, I wrote it down before you said it, but <laughs> what I promise God has just been confirming. Um, it's so exciting when he's saying the same thing and just confirms what he wants to say tonight. So um, let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, that we can just be still. Thank you, Lord, that we can quiet our hearts and our minds and Thank you, Lord, that we can just come and be with you. Thank you, Father, Lord, that you're faithful and that this evening it's so clear, Lord, that you, you, want us rem- you just want to remind us that, that you are our Father and that we are your children. Thank you, Lord, that we are yours. Thank you, Father, Lord, that you, you speak to us in ways that we understand. Thank you, Father, that you're patient with us and, and diligent to to lead us, God. And thank you, Lord, that tonight, Lord, that you'll just come and show us again anew how we can trust you. Father, thank you that you are trustworthy, God. We love you, Father. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. So this evening, I'm not going to be giving a deep theological teaching because that's not my gifting. You can ask any for deep things. Um, I'm really just going to be sharing the journey that God has taken me on this year of becoming a daughter. Um, I've often, obviously, getting saved and walking in relationship with Christ, God comes to reveal parts of His, um, of his nature to us um, in different seasons, in different ways. And for a long time, um, a way that I have understood seeing God is, is relating to him as a servant, as seeing him as my king and seeing him as sovereign and seeing him as his ways being higher, higher than, than anything I could ever understand or grasp. But some, something that I really struggle to relate with him to is, is just to, to be able to relate to him as a daughter. Like if I pray with people or pray for people, like I understand that God is the father and that we are his children. I just struggle to to see what that means. What does it mean? How, how do I relate to him? And then I'd pray and people would be like, just close your eyes and just picture yourself as a small child on God's lap and he's your father and he's good. And I'd like try, <laughs> but I just couldn't. It just never, 
I could never relate to that. And um, something that Henny just, because I was struggling to, to like classify, how do I say that God is showing me things that I saw as a servant, now as a son? How do I explain that in a way that I don't say that being a servant is wrong? And then he explained it um, very simply because that's his gifting. Um, that God uses many metaphors for us to understand how he relates to us. Sometimes he says we're servants and he's our king. Sometimes he, say, he, rela- he says that he is our husband and we are his bride. And um, he speaks of us as his friends. And so tonight I'm really just going to be sharing on, on how God has shown me to relate to him as a father. So I'm not saying that when God speaks to us as his servants, that it's wrong or that you're seeing that wrong. It's just a different way that God speaks to us. And um, it's not, it is that as well. Um, so I want to read to us. So, oh, you might be surprised. There aren't any, any things, what do you call power, slides? There will be a video, but there's, there's no slides. So, so you can just close your eyes and listen if you want. Um, I'm going to be reading from... Romans 8, from verse 9. Thank you, Charlotte. (laughs) You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. And if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And the heading is heirs with Christ. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. I'm just going to read that again, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And I just want to add this part, just because Charlotte also um, read it, read it and because we were singing of it. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So, this whole year, I, I, when we had like elders meetings or whatever, then we'd have like a quick heart-to-heart, like where are you at in your journey? And I'd say like I'm really struggling to relate to God as a daughter. I get that he's my king, but I, I don't know what it looks like. And then when we'd be praying in intercession or during worship, then I'd be asking God, God, please just show me. Come and reveal to me what it is to be a daughter. I want to have a real understanding, not just a, a head understanding, but a real heart understanding of what it means to be a daughter. And every time I pray, I'd see this vision of, 
of the king's court, and it's dark, and the king is sitting in his throne on the other side of the court, and there's these big doors, and the doors are open just a little bit, and I'm standing on this side of the doors, um, similar to what Lauren shared, and I'm standing, standing at the doors, and then the doors would creak, and I just like peep through, like very nervous, and every time I'd get the sense of like, I need to ask for permission. Like, will I obtain favor from God to be allowed to come into his court? Like, like when Esther spoke to the king. And every single time, then I'd be like, God, may I come in? And then he'd be like, of course you can come in. You don't even have to ask. But I'd stay there. Like, I wouldn't be able to, to get to the other side. So this whole year, a lot of friends have been praying for me just for this transition. Um, and I... I was trying to think, why am I struggling with this thing of relate? Maybe it's because of so many disappointments that I can't see God as a good father. Maybe it's because of a lot of suffering and a lot of hurt. Maybe, maybe if God affirms me more, or maybe if God answers more of my prayers like I want him to, then maybe I'll see God as a good father. And I'd like be thinking of a lot of things, like maybe, maybe if, if these prayers get answered like this, then, then I'll be able to relate to God as a good father. And then at Convergence um, in August, uh, September this year, um, we were busy worshiping. And, and God just reminded me that he'd asked me a year ago to, um, to get off social media, like permanently. And I'd been justifying it this whole year, like, oh, but I work for the church and I have to do marketing and nah, 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 nah. And then God just asked me, how many, how many souls have come to salvation with your marketing? And I was like, okay, none. <laughs> and, um, and then he just reminded me of that. He's like, okay, so will you trust me? And then for the first time I realized, oh, he's my dad. He knows better than I know. He knows what's best for me. Maybe, maybe even though I don't understand why, He's telling me to get off social media. Maybe I should just trust that he knows what's good for me. Being a parent, we often know what's better for our children, even though they don't understand why we're saying no. So maybe I should just trust him. And then I said to God, okay, fine. I, okay. And I uninstalled <laughs> the apps off my phone and whatever. And, um, and immediately for the first time, I was like, oh, he's my father. And, and I didn't feel in that moment like, like, you better, I told you, you're not allowed to do this, and now you're still doing it, you better get off social media. Like, God just reminded me that this is not good for you. Will you trust me? And since then, God has just been changing and slowly starting to reveal Christian concepts that I saw for a long time from out of the lens of a servant, which is also right, um, but just changing that lens and showing me what it looks like when the same concepts are viewed out of a view from as a daughter, what does it look like then? So one of the things that, that God sh showed me is repentance. For a long time, I saw repentance like, okay, this is wrong, you must change. Okay, this is walk the right way. Okay, this is wrong. You must change. This is the right way, which is, which, which is what repentance is as well. Um, 
And then God just showed me the meaning of the word repentance, and it literally just means to change your mind. Where so often I felt like, oh, I, I'm not fully repentant because there's not a whole lot of emotion around this change of behavior. I've changed my behavior, but I, did I really repent? Because I wasn't like sad about it when I, when I changed. Um, and then he also just reminded me that it's his loving kindness that leads us to repentance. And that repentance is an invitation. So if you have to think of um, any relationship that you're in or that you've been in or like a relationship with your mom or with your dad or with your siblings or whatever um, or your spouse, a loving relationship that you really value. When you and that person, when there's conflict and you have an argument, say your, say my husband says, maybe you shouldn't do that because maybe he sees something coming, and then I choose to do that. Or I, he says, don't do that because it hurts me. And I'm like, eh, I will. And then I do it. <laughs> and then I hurt him. So now I've, I've, I've willfully chosen to do something that he's asked me not to. But because he loves me, he allows time and opportunity for me to say I'm sorry. If he didn't love me, he wouldn't allow me to come back to him. And for the first time, I saw that actually repentance is an open invitation, a space where God allows us to come to him and approach him, and he gives us that time, and he gives us that face time, um, and says, yeah, come. Yes, you're allowed to say you're sorry. I forgive you. I want to hear you. I want to hear you out. Like... So I never, ever saw repentance that way before. I've always seen repentance as a, you're doing this wrong, you must change. And for the first time, God's just showed me, but as a daughter, I want you to come. Repentance is an invitation for, for our relationship to be strengthened. Um, come. <laughs> Here, I'll, I'll show you an area of your life that I know that's not good for you. Will you trust me and come so that we can change this? Um, and to back it up, I have scripture. <laughs> um, you can go to um, to Timothy. Um, to Timothy two verse twenty-five. And for the teachers out there, I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. I'm sorry. For a true servant of our Lord Jesus will not be argumentative but gentle toward, toward all and skilled in helping others see the truth, having great patience toward the immature. And here's verse 25. Then with meekness you'll be able to carefully enlighten those who argue with you so they can see God's gracious gift of repentance and be brought to the truth. This will cause them to rediscover themselves and escape from the snare of Satan who caught them in his trap so that they would carry out his purposes. So repentance is truly a, a gracious gift that God extends an invitation to us and says, come. So it's just to change your mind. But I want to, I'm not saying that when we are overcome with, um, with emotion that, or that we shouldn't be, that there shouldn't be emotion linked to our repentance. 
I was reminded of um, a definition of love by Vadi Bachan. I don't know if you guys know who Vadi Bachan is. It's this really, back, uh, really big black American um, Texan that loves speaking on marriage and is extremely inspirational. Um, but his definition of love is it's an act of the will, so it's a decision, accompanied by emotion. It's not led by emotion and it's not void of emotion. And that leads to action on behalf of its object. So if you think of repentance, God showing us an area in our lives that are not in line with, in line with his per perfect will for our lives, then we get to change our minds. We get to make a decision, an act of the will, accompanied by emotion. God, I'm really sorry. That leads to action. I'm actually, I was going this way, so I'm not just saying, God, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry. I'm saying, God, I'm sorry. It's leading to action. It's accompanied by emotion on behalf of its object. And the object of our love is Jesus Christ. So we choose to turn away from our ways and act on that and choose to turn towards Jesus. Just like God's love led to action on our behalf when he gave his son up on the cross. The next thing that, um, that God just came to change my view on is pruning. And I really want to read the scripture. It's something that's, that's been, been speaking to me for a long time um, this year. And um, as John said, it's come up so many times this week that it would be foolish not to um, not to be obedient. Um, it's John 15. From verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you... Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another." And God just came to show me that pruning is also such a privilege because God has a choice when he looks at us. 
either we go through seasons of pruning or either there's nothing in us that's worth pruning and he uproots us. So when we go through seasons of pruning, really count it as joy because God sees something in us that he wants more of and he's willing to take time to remove things in our lives that are not good, good for us. He's willing to take time to remove things in our lives that we're spending so much energy on that's not producing fruit or not producing fruit that he wants. Um, a simple, God's showing me simple things like, here's a branch. It used to be attached to the vine. What? What? Stum? Trunk, trunk. And if it stayed in there, it would have grown. But now it was broken off, it can literally do nothing. So I know, like, so often we look at, at, at Bible concepts and we're like, but what is the spiritual meaning of this? And what? maybe sometimes God comes to us as his children and explains things to us in ways that we can understand and that he knows we'll understand it best if he gives us simple illustrations. So this is just one illustration that God has been, been showing me. Like he speaks to us and he speaks to us simply. Sometimes, like, sometimes obviously the Bible is, his ways are higher and we, I'm not saying that we're going to understand everything that he's saying. But I am saying that when he speaks to us as his children, he speaks to us in a way that we can understand. He knows how we hear. Like, I know when I'm speaking to Joshua that if I tell him big concepts, it's going to mean nothing to him. He'll look at me like I'm crazy and tell me that, ask me where's his Dino Rex. Like, I don't know what you're saying, but I want my Dino Rex. So if, if I know him, surely I know how, what he understands. So the same way with God, like, if we are branches and, and God is saying that he wants us to bear fruit and he's telling us to remain in the vine, surely that concept is simple. Because now, what will this do? I can throw it in the fire and it will be burned. It cannot do anything of itself. But if it had remained in the vine, it, it could have grown and what it's an oak tree or whatever, so its purpose is to give shade and and. Um, for animals to come and nest and whatever. Every branch has a purpose. But apart from the vine, we can do nothing. But in him, we can fulfill everything that he has purposed for us. Everything. If that branch had stayed in the vine, it would have fulfilled its purpose as a branch. It would have grown and gotten big leaves and been shade and everything that it should have done if it had remained in the vine. But because it was broken off, it can do nothing. So I just want to show you a video. I hope it works. It's not, it's not a Christian video. <laughs> it's from the Garden Ninja. <laughs> Hi, and welcome back to Garden Ninja. Now it's February, it's cold, damp, and a bit miserable, but it's an ideal time to prune fruit trees. So today's guide is gonna be showing you how to successfully prune fruit trees. Now pruning them will give you a better chance of fruit, it will give you a neater shape, 
and hopefully prevent some diseases and illnesses that may affect your fruit trees if you don't prune them each year. So come on, let's get cracking. I've had a number of you that have written to me asking about old fruit trees or orchards that you've inherited in gardens that you've moved to. Now I have a small orchard here that I've inherited and it's in a bit of a bad way so I thought this would be a really good example of showing you how effective winter pruning is particularly of fruit trees. Now in the instance today I'm going to be pruning a pear tree and winter is the ideal time to do that. You may notice there's some damsons and some plums and this is the wrong time for any of the pruners family. You prune those in summer to reduce the issue with silver leaf disease. So don't prune those in the winter, but apples and pears, you're good to go. So you might be able to see, I walk through the quagmire of mud. Behind me here is quite an old established pear tree, but it has a branch that's sort of reaching for the stars. It's just gone bonkers. I doubt it's ever really been formally pruned. So today I'm going to show you how you can prune a fruit tree such as a pear in winter to start to bring it back into a more open shape which will also allow for better fruiting. And this one last year produced no fruits but just loads of growth which is a really clear sign that you need to do some maintenance pruning to get it back under control and to give it the best start next year. So before we get started I thought it might be worthwhile just running through the kinds of tools you may need when it comes to pruning fruit trees. So the first off are secateurs. Keep them clean, always sharpen them. So a small pair of sharp secateurs is good for pruning small branches and just keeping a tree in general good health. However, if you're moving on to more severe pruning like we're about to do, you may need a pair of telescopic loppers, as I call them, um, which have a really sharp blade and you can go through quite, quite sort of thick branches um, Usually it tells you the kind of diameter that you can cut through on them and different pairs of loppers will have different gauges. They're good for the thicker branches. However, if you're going to be doing some big major pruning like me, you may need one of these, you can see that, which is a specialist wood saw for trees. So it's got a really vicious blade, um, razor sharp, very dangerous. So make sure you've got adequate protection in the form of gloves. If you're using a ladder, make sure you've got something at the bottom to help. Um, and just take care. Um, slowly but surely wins the race. So I'm going to take these tools around now and start to prune the pear tree. So once you're ready to start pruning, my first tip would be to stand back, have a look at the shape of the tree and identify the key branches that you're going to need to remove. Now key branches would be any dead material, branches that are crossing, rubbing, or in my case a branch that's just been left to grow too tall. Another tip is always start at the top and work down. Don't be tempted, especially on bigger trees, just to cut halfway down to save all that work. Because what will happen is that all those branches will fall on top of you and do yourself a mischief. So take some time. If you're going to use ladders, make sure they're properly secured. And little by little, bit, 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 start to take down the branches that you want in small chunks. So let's go.
So taking out the leader stem, which should mean that all the energy that was going into those upper branches then gets redirected to all the side branches and will hopefully give me some fruit. Now, I'm having to really hard prune this because it is a real mess. So if I don't get fruit this year, it's not a problem, providing I get it into a good shape for the year after, then it can fruit. Because at the moment, with all these branches crossing over, tangled together, all the energy is just going in green growth. Nothing's going towards fruit. So what I'm going to do now, so the Perf Secateurs, is just very lightly take out any crossing stems. But I don't want to go too, too crazy because I've already taken a big chunk off. So sort of every two to three crossing stems I'll remove this year and then next year I'll finish the rest off. So here's a great example of a set of messy branches that need a good prune. So in this example, I would take out this stem here because it's really getting in the way, it's rubbing against this one and they're all aiming in the same direction. So I would take that back to here on this one, which would free that branch up. It would remove that one out of the way. And as you can see then, the rest of the branches have enough room to bear fruit. When you are cutting back a branch though, a good rule of thumb, and this probably isn't the best example, you want to take it back to just before a new bud because the fruits will grow on last year's growth with a pear or an apple. So if I was to trim this one back, I would take it to there or there with a clean pair of secateurs at an angle. But if you need more help on pruning, I've got a video just on that. So I'm not gonna go into too much detail, but just before a bud, which will then hopefully give you some fruit next year. But yeah, all these crossing stems really need to come out and that's what I'm going to work on now. And a really good tip that I was given by a northern chap that was really good at pruning said that once you've finished pruning your fruit tree, you should be able to throw a flat cap through the centre and it shouldn't get stuck. And that really is a metaphor for the open goblet shape if you're going to be pruning a tree like this. So over the next couple of years, I'm going to aim to get a flat cap, throw it through, prove him right. So I've finished pruning the pear tree now and the cuttings that I've taken off are here. I know you weren't thinking that you're coming for a gardening lesson, but alas. <laughs> I think oftentimes when you read the Bible, we don't understand concepts that God used then because we don't have a, an awareness of, of we're not in a farming culture or we're not in a shepherding culture or we're not like some concepts maybe we don't understand because we're not used to what it actually means. And that guy, I don't know if he knows Jesus or not and if he's read John 15 or not, but it's very similar to what, what John 15 says. And um, it's so interesting for me to see that so often, like the tree, uh, the tree that's being pruned doesn't have to do anything. Like it's going crazy and it's the job of the farmer or the person who's pruning to, to, to plan the attack, <laughs> to... to he sees what will be best for this tree, for it to be the best fruit. And pruning season is often just a time of surrender for us to say, yes, Lord, take it. Oh, you don't want this branch? Okay, take it. Oh, this branch, I'm using energy here, but it's not bearing fruit. Okay, Jesus, I trust you, take it. 
Um, so that was just another, another thing that, that Jesus came to just show me. Um, and then another, another thing that, that God is just starting to, to reveal to me is the simplicity of the things that, that he said, um, like holiness, like tonight, uh, I don't know who shared, but that, that we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. What does that even mean? Like when God calls us to be holy, what does he, what does he even mean? Are we supposed to live perfect lives? Um, we're holy, actually just the word holy just means different or other, under. So we so often we get so deep into um, Christianese and things like, oh, but I'm, I'm called to be a holy nation. But what does that mean now? I'm, I'm, I'm called to be different. My life should look different. And, and different not meaning exclusive. Because I don't think that our lives are exclusive. I think so often we think that if we come to Christ and we, we live lives fully committed to Him, that we're excluded from suffering or we're excluded from pain or we're excluded from, from anything that is in the world. We're, we're not, but we are called to be different in our circumstances. So when we do go through suffering, our lives should look holy. Our lives should look different. So when there's a person next to me in the ICU room going through the same thing as I'm going through, but she doesn't have Jesus, my suffering should look different because my hope is different. My hope is not in the prognosis that the doctor is giving. And my hope is not in the machines and the results and the facts and surrounded by the chaos. My hope is in Jesus and he says that one day that we'll be whole and there'll be no suffering. That even if, if in this life we suffer, in the next we won't. And he promises that he'll be with us and we'll never be alone in our suffering and he promises that, that he'll give us strength and that his joy will be our strength, which is so completely against what the world says. Like, how can you have joy in your suffering? That doesn't make sense. Yes, because that's different. Because we're holy. We're different. Who, who said just now that, that we're consecrated or set apart? Who was it? Lauren, did you say? Deirdre. Like being being set apart again is, what does that mean? What is it? We're set apart for what? We're set apart for a specific purpose. This branch, <laughs> whether it wants to bear nachis, it's not going to because that's not what it was purposed for. It was purposed to be a branch and have shade and be nesting for birds. And I don't know what else an oak tree is purposed for, but you get what I'm saying. It doesn't matter how much this branch desires something that it's not purposed for. We're set apart for a specific purpose that God knows. And my purpose looks different to your purpose, looks different to your purpose. And there should be no envy or no strife between us. We should be encouraging each other to remain in the vine and remain on the path set before us. Like Lawrence often says, just stay in your lane. God's purposed you for that, and he's given you strength, and you're set apart for his purposes for you, and for his purposes for his kingdom, not for our, sorry for waving the branch. Um, when I asked God 
a long time ago, so many people around me, God, have a desire to, to spend time in your word. And they're like, oh, hungry for your word. And they're hungry for quiet time. And their um, intimacy with you is amazing. And like, God, it's really hard for me sometimes. I don't always understand what you're saying. And sometimes I read the Bible and, okay, I do it because I'm going through the motions. Or like, I know I must spend time with you, so I spend time with you. But God, I really want to have a desire Like, come and birth a desire in me for you. And I never realized that, (laughs) well, I did, but not this simply, that God answers our prayers in ways that we weren't expecting. So, like God started to reveal to me that I'm his daughter, in, in calling me to repentance, I didn't think that that would be the way, but that was the way, and it's worked. Um, God started... Um, inviting me to fast. And I was like, fasting is always difficult and it's something that I have to do and I'm not allowed to eat. So, like, you're not allowed to eat, that's why you fast. And while I'm fasting, I'm not allowed to eat. And that's my focus. And, oh, I mustn't focus on the food because it's not about the food, but I'm really hungry. And, and then God just showed me, but this is also an invitation. You don't have to accept it. I'm saying, here, this is good for you. It's an invitation. Do you want it? Yes, God, I want it. Okay. Can I show you what happens when you fast? Yes, sure, you can show me what happens when I fast. Okay, so I've told you not to be on social media, so it's a social media fast for the rest of my life. It's creating space in my head that was full before, where I was reading the Bible and scrolling on Facebook and doing all these things, not realizing that Facebook is filling my head my capacity to receive, now that it's not there, oh, there's space. There's a space that's quiet. There's a space that's empty that I can actually fill with something else. So fasting is literally creating an appetite for something. So yes, you are hungry, but what are you going to fill that gap with? So I can fill, I think sometimes it's harder to fast social media and um, like Netflix and stuff than it is to fast food, because fast fasting food is simple, and with a whole vegan culture, like, this is what we do. But fasting social media and um, instant gratification and keeping our minds entertained, like Kenny said this morning, sometimes it's harder to set that aside and actually just keep that space empty so that when God does speak, you're able to receive it because you have open and open space. I don't know if that makes sense, but anyway, it made sense to me. Um, I'm almost finished now. I feel like I haven't said a lot, but anyway. Um, another area that, that, that God's just been showing me, something that Stefan and Daniela um, said yesterday at their, at their wedding, their whole heart for, for their union yesterday was for us to, to, for God to reveal heavenly parables with earthly things. Oh, what? Heavenly things with earthly parables. That were... What? Say it again. Earthly parables for heavenly realities. So for me, that understands things simply. It's like God just showing us himself in simple daily things. Like communion. Sometimes we... I was like, okay, cool, there's some, some deep significance about the bread and some deep significance about the wine, and there probably, there probably is a lot of significance to it, and will elaborate. But um, the sim- simplicity for me of communion is 
When Jesus chose those elements, he knew then that even in this day and age, we'd know what bread and wine is, and that it would be a common thing in everybody's homes. It's still accessible. It's still so accessible in our daily lives that even in our daily lives, everyone, regardless of your income, has access to be reminded of what God has done for us on the cross. <laughs> Thanks, Lauren. <laughs> yeah, so this journey that I'm on has only just started. And God has only just started to reveal to me what it looks like to be a daughter. And I'm trusting him that he'll still reveal to me what it looks like, the, the metaphor of husband and bride and the, the metaphor of, of many things. But this journey has been so precious because I thought it was going to be ingewikkeld, complicated. I don't even have to say it. You guys all know. Um, I thought it was going to be complicated and I thought it was going to be intense. But it, but it hasn't been. It's been... God changing things to be simpler, showing me that you're, you're just my child, and I'm just your dad, and I know how to talk to you, and I want to talk to you, and I want to talk to you in a way that you understand. I'm your dad, and I'm accessible. I'm accessible in your daily living. I'm accessible in, in what you eat. I remind, my, I remind you of me, and when you walk, I remind you of me. And when, when you look at nature, I remind you of me. I'm with you everywhere. So for this evening, I'm really just trusting that, that God will come and, come and quiet an area in our lives. That we've been striving to see him in a way that we don't see him yet. That we'll come to a place where, where we move towards trusting him. Trusting him even in the pruning seasons that require us to surrender. Trusting him in the moments where we're called to be holy. That God, what does it look like to be different when my bank account is empty? Trusting him in moments when, God, what does it look like when the pregnancy test is still negative? Trusting him when... My relationships are not restored yet. Trusting him when we're trusting for healing and it's not happening yet in the way that we want it to. But that we, we come to a place that we're loved first by a father that knows what's good for us. That regardless of our circumstances and regardless of what we're faced with, that we'll come to a place where we can be quiet and rest and say, yes, Jesus, if this is not good for me, I don't want it. And yes, Jesus, if you're asking me to fast, then if that's an invitation that you're extending to me and you say that this is actually good for you, then I actually want to accept that invitation and say, I don't understand why it's okay for Shamiso to be on Facebook, but it's not okay for me to be. But God, maybe you know. And I choose to trust you because you're my father too. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.